you have your Bibles, go with me to Matthew chapter 5. And uh, we'll be there, Matthew chapter 5 and also Matthew chapter 19. And we need to continue to pray for her and also our missionaries that are serving there. And uh, I would ask for, for your prayer this coming Saturday. Uh, speaking of un- largely unreached people groups, um, we're going to have the Elite Warrior Challenge here in Franklin County at the YMCA. It's uh, otherwise known as a cage match. And uh, I'll be the chaplain for that uh, on, on Saturday night. And we'll go in for to, for, to the weigh-ins on Friday, be able to talk with the fighters, uh, some that I know, uh, some that I don't know. And if some of y'all uh, totally, you don't know what that is at all, it's where you have two men and they get into a cage and they beat each other up. All right? And so i got one fan right here that likes that. Right on. Jiu-Jitsu for Jesus, right? Um, but but just pray that the Lord will use that as an opportunity. They've already sold, I think, 600-plus tickets. They're expecting maybe around 1,000. I don't know how they're going to do the seating. But uh, just pray that Jesus would be lifted up and we'll be able to pray before all of that. We'll put the gospel in the prayer. And um, let's pray for those groups of people, all right? Like Susan said, the work is in India, it's in Costa Rica, and it's also here. And so what, I, what I'd like to do, a little different uh, than we normally start off the message each week today, uh, we're going to be talking about divorce, okay? And I realize that we're talking about divorce during Valentine's week, uh, otherwise known as Singles Awareness Week or Day. Uh, so those of you who are single, it may be that the Lord provides you somebody uh, from here. And we believe that that's a great place for people to be able to meet for the glory of God. But that was not intentional. What we're doing, y'all, is we're just walking through Matthew chapter 5. Somebody's like, I knew he would do something like that. I mean, good night, Jeff. But, but let, let, let me be very, very open, very honest. Um, out of all of the difficult subjects that we have touched on at Rocky Mount Baptist Church on Sunday morning, and we've touched on all sorts of controversial issues, things that delve into politics and people say is that being political and so forth. But divorce is something that has ravaged and is in continuing to ravage our society. And if you have not and your family has not been touched by divorce, you know someone who has. Okay? And so what I'm going to ask all of us, I know, and I was thinking and praying, I said, out of all of the things that are sensitive, personal, deep subjects that we could talk about, this is probably on the top of the list, if not the top. I'm going to ask you, whether you have been divorced, whether you're separated, whether you've never been divorced, and singles will talk about us uh, towards the end of the message, that we would all just come before God right now and say, God, I'm willing to listen to what your word has to say. Okay? I'm going to try to be absolutely clear with the words of Jesus. And I know for some of us, it doesn't matter what we struggle with, what's in our past. When we open up the Bible or when someone else opens it up and it comes to that part that we know is going to hit us right here, it's almost like we want someone to say, well, what Jesus is really saying, you know what I'm saying? Right. Or what Jesus really meant, which is obviously the opposite of what Jesus clearly said. And then sometimes we can run so quickly to grace before we understand why we need Jesus. So I'm just going to ask all of us uh, just in this moment, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask that you pray along with me to the Lord, regardless of your marital situation, regardless if you've been divorced or separated, whatever, or single. Just say, Father, please open my heart. 
to your word. Can you do that together with me this morning? Okay, let's, let's just bow right now and ask God to open our hearts. Father, we thank you for loving us and for being so straightforward and honest with us. And some of us in this room have dealt with the brutal effects of divorce. Some in this room, Father, are possibly thinking about getting one. Some may be separated. Some may just be absolutely unhappy. Lord Jesus, we all have things that we would desire to see happen, but most of all, let us say, not my will, but yours be done. Father, would you break us and would you open our hearts and give us a spirit of humility to say, Lord, would you speak to me? And would you give me ears willing to hear and a heart willing to put into practice what you teach? Help us, Jesus. Would you bind the enemy away of placing discouraging thoughts defeatist thoughts, thoughts that say, because of my past, God cannot use me in the present or the future. Father, would you annihilate those lies? And would you help all of us to see that it is because of your grace that we are alive, and it is only because of your grace that we continue to live. So would you help us this morning, Jesus? And would you mend, would you perform surgery and mend and pull together and heal and begin the healing process for others? the hearts and lives that divorce has touched. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, in your Bibles, we're going to be in verse 31 and 32. This is Jesus continuing. He's kind of coming off the discussion on lust and adultery. And he says in verse 31, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for, or the exception of, on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let's go to Matthew chapter 19. Jesus picks this up again when the Pharisees are trying to nail him to the wall. Go with me to verse number 1 of Matthew chapter 19. The Bible says, Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away into Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by saying, or asking rather, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him. So notice Jesus's answer ends there. And then in verse seven, they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said, verse 8, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits 
adultery. Notice the disciples here. If you're single, this is, this is the reaction. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. And then Jesus enters a discussion to say, well, there are some eunuchs. Notice verse number uh, 11. Not everyone who can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been made so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have been made themse- who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. The Business News Daily cites an academic paper that says, quote, beside the population effects originating in the 1960s and 1970s, there are no other consequences of policy change that have had a greater effect in slowing economic growth than the divorce revolution. And the paper is entitled, The Divorce Revolution Perpetually Reduces U.S. Economic Growth. Divorce Removes a Fourth of Head of House Household Productivity Growth. This is not something that's news to most of us. Probably every single one of us in this room can say that divorce, if we take it for what it is, it would be better to have that not in a society than have it all through society. And notice Jesus is addressing a society as we'll break this down. Uh, Your outline is absolutely filled to the gill because we want to make sure that we clearly communicate the words of Jesus in our culture. But Jesus' culture was a very divorce-happy culture. Just because it was first century Jew does not mean that they got together for marriage, one man, one woman, planning that for life. So here's Jesus' Old Testament background if you want to follow through with us on those notes. Notice that Jesus' answer here, if we go back to Matthew chapter 5, if we can back up to verse 27, when he's speaking of adultery, Jesus goes back to say that you know that it's wrong to commit adultery. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is going to say there is a standard. And this is one of those deep uh, lines of thought that for us to properly understand divorce, we have to first properly understand marriage, right? We have to first understand the law to understand what it means to break the law and so forth. So Jesus goes back to the very uh, beginning. And what we see here, if you go back to chapter 19, you're holding your place there, in verse number 5, Jesus puts forward the idea that they knew that marriage is a sacred covenant between not only the man and the woman, but the community as well. He says, therefore the man shall leave his father and mother and shall hold fast or cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Now it's very interesting when you, when you look at sociology and the change that normally happens between maybe, uh, fourth grade to eighth grade, fifth grade to seventh grade, to where guys, girls go from having cooties to you say, I want one. Right? I mean, to where you, you have that idea growing up, it's, it's, it's the little rascals, you know, the he-man woman haters club, and all the, all the boys are like, girls are gross, and if you talk to a girl, if you're friends with a girl, you get kicked out of the he-man woman haters club. But then things begin to change, don't they guys? And then those of you who, who are married and you've, you've fallen in love and, and you say, man, it turned from the, from the, He-man woman haters club to I will punch my best guy friend in the throat if he says something bad about her because she is the one that I love, right? 
Everything changes. And the Bible says here, Jesus is going back to the beginning. He goes back to Genesis and he says that a man leaves the father and mother and cleaves to his wife. What that means is that if you're a father or a mother-in-law is don't try to ruin the marriage by controlling your child. We okay? Where do you think all the mother-in-law jokes come from? Okay? Where do you think all the father-in-law jokes come from that nobody's, everybody's afraid to say because they think he's just a little bit off and he owns guns? And when it's family meals, he just stares at the son-in-law and doesn't say any words. The Bible says that parents, you know, you're supposed to train those children up by God's grace and the power of the Lord. And then they leave and you train up the boys to be men. And then they're men to their wives. You train the women to be godly women. They're godly uh, wives to their husbands. And then that Jesus says, guys, for us to understand divorce, we've got to understand how God actually intended it. So Jesus goes back to the very beginning. And if you're taking notes, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 32 would be a great one to jot down. The Bible says... This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The context of Ephesians chapter 5 is this. A man, how he should relate to his wife, and how the wife should relate to the man. You know what the Bible says, guys? That if we were in a marriage relationship, that we should love our wife as Christ loved the church. That means that we should be willing to literally lay down our lives for her. So when it comes to things like she needs to talk or she needs help with something, we should, by God's grace, do that. Be Jesus to her. Be love incarnate. Be willing to be a sacrificial leader. And you know what, ladies, the Bible says uh, for you to do in Ephesians 5 is to respect your husband. Now, why does the Bible say that the man is supposed to cherish and affectionately love? It doesn't have anything to do with sex in that context. Why does the Bible say that men are supposed to do that for their wives, but yet the wives are supposed to respect the husband? It's very interesting today that secular studies show us that men, our number one need in a relationship is respect. And not, you know, you come in and she's literally bowing down on the floor, you know, offering you up a bowl of Fritos. I mean, nothing strange like that. But where there's genuine, some of you ladies totally turn, you're like, don't even, no, it's not happening, not happening. But a, a genuine respect. Respect to where to where he knows that you respect him and that when you're with a group of people, you're not going to try to pull out the sly one liners and cut him down. That is a devastating thing to do in a marriage. And people may laugh, but what your husband feels, ladies, when you do that, well, you know, it's good that he got up today. I mean, what that that destroys a guy and what he will do is he will withdraw in himself in the same way. I've tried to talk to godly women, women who've been married, had godly marriages, and they say when a man is is uncontrollably angry, it's like the flower inside the woman's heart, if you can use that illustration, just wilts. Like you put a hot flame on it and they withdraw. And it's very interesting to me that the Bible, since written about 2,000 years ago, the letters of Paul, says exactly the same thing that we know now. Maybe we should go back to the Bible for marriage problems. Amen? And maybe God's word has something to say about it since he's the one who created man and woman and he's the one who instituted marriage. Maybe God has some good ideas. 
And notice Jesus uses this phrase in Matthew 19, verse 5 again. He says, yoked together. Now, that's not having to do with eggs. It's having to do with, with oxen that are put together. They both are plowing together. They're both working together. And there has not been one godly man, not one godly woman that I have talked to that says, marriage, piece of cake. I mean, we don't have to work at it at all. We, I mean, and I, there are some people who say we've never had a real argument. And I'm just, you know, okay, you know, but the Bible does say that liars go to hell, right? You know, but I mean, still, if that's, if that, you, you can do that, man, God's power in your life, that's awesome. But here's the thing. Everybody says that it takes work. And notice Jesus says, and this, this idea in the Greek language, that they are yoked together doing work going in the same direction. Now, that's a pretty cool thing. Because, one day I'll be able to wrangle this in, because notice that when two oxen are yoked together, when they're pulling the same load, when they're on the same team, they're going in the same direction. Following God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I'm 33, and my generation is very, very, very popular, very normal. Uh, to co- People call it cohabitate. Uh, old school calls it shacking up, Right? Okay, and so so that's a very popular thing uh, today. But God's word says that outside of marriage, that sex is off limits, like we talked about two weeks ago, that it's either out of season or it's off limits. God does not want sex off limit to people. He simply says that outside of marriage, it's out of season. And anything as powerful as that will cause destruction and will cause all sorts of things that were not meant to exist if we take something out of its proper context. And some people say, well, um, you know, Jeff, I, we're together, you know, we're dating and we live together, um, but we're not sexually active. And I asked the guy, is she attracted to you, bro? I mean, are, are, do you look at her and say, wow, she is a beautiful woman? Yes. And I say, but you can live with her and not engage. And, really? Like really? Oh, oh yeah. And I'm, I'm sorry. Here's the thing. Even if, even if you can do that, if you can live together and you're not sexually active, what is that teaching the children in your life? If there are children there and what does that do to your testimony? Because 99.9% of people will assume that there's more that's going on than a game of Scrabble after eight o'clock on a Friday night. Y'all okay. Can we be honest here? So we want to avoid all appearance of evil. Not only that, but Jesus says in verse 6 of Matthew chapter 19 that marriage is a knitting together or a bringing together, a fusion of dreams, emotions, and trust. Notice that he says they are no longer two, but are one flesh. It's kind of a little Tammy Wynette, stand by your man, stand with your man. I will be there with you. And Jesus not only says that, but in the last part of verse 6 in Matthew 19, he says, therefore, Whatever God has joined together, let not man separate. In other words, this is in your notes. Marriage is a covenant for better or worse, not a contract for a con- for convenience or a guarantee of happiness. This is something that the Bible never says about marriage. And this applies to, to married, single again, and singles alike. Marriage was never designed to make us happy. We all Okay. There's no verse in the Bible that we find that says, when thou shalt marrieth, thou shalt beeth happy. It's not in there. 
Marriage is for the glory of God. It is to picture Christ's love for us and to be able to model that to our friends in our community. Not saying, hey, look at us, we've got this perfect marriage. Because usually the people that put off that air have the most jacked up marriages. But it's being honest and saying, because Christ loves us, he's brought us together for his glory. Now notice, Jesus in Matthew 19, when he's asked about divorce, he stops with, let not man separate. That's Jesus' answer. And can I share with you a pet peeve? Can we do that? Some of you are like, better be short, because we got food on the grill right out there. Okay, listen. I've heard preacher after preacher, when they come to difficult, the difficult, the hard sayings of Jesus, say something like this. Now, Jesus said that. Don't blame me. Wasn't my idea. I mean, that's Jesus. I'm like, dude, you're kicking Jesus to the curb and under the bus. Now, did Jeff write this? No. Jeff couldn't think of anything this profound. But let me say, this comes from Jesus, and I love Jesus, so... If you want to kick him to the curb, then kick me there as well. That's good company to be at, all right? I will not be a preacher that wants to apologize and distance myself from Jesus when he gets real and when it gets tough and only be there when it's the happy-go-lucky verses. That's called a fair-weather friend, okay? So, But here's the thing. When we explain these things to our friends who come from a very broken background, we don't do that with, I mean, slamming down the fist of, I'm with Jesus, and I'm on the right team, and you're on the wrong team. And I mean, no, no. We do it with brokenness and humility. Because the gospel is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. We all on the same page there? The disciples' response is... Who then would marry? If that's the case, if that's the bar, then I may, I may just, I may just, I may just wait out yet another singles awareness day. I mean, Jesus, man, that is hardcore. And then Jesus basically says, you know what? Not everybody can get this. Not everybody's willing to understand and take to heart what I'm truly trying to get across. So Jesus is teaching on divorce. If we go back to Matthew chapter 5, is simply this. In verse 31, Jesus is saying a man cannot divorce his wife for any reason. Now notice in Matthew 19, what we just read, do you know what the Pharisees are really trying to get at? They're really trying to say, Jesus, give me an excuse as to why I can drop this woman. John MacArthur said this, Jesus' teaching on divorce was given specifically to refute the loopholes. Do you see what they were trying to do? They were trying to find loopholes to say, how can I get out of this? And there were actually two schools. You didn't know that you were going to learn Hebrew, did you, today? Y'all are all excited about that. Like, sweet, that's why I come to church. And by the way, for Tykes, we actually learned Hebrew. We did. We've got little scholars here the other day. We learned the Hebrew word for bird, which you know, you know what it is? So we're like, no, you're going to learn it anyway. It's oof. It kind of sounds like a bird going up. We don't know whether Adam spoke Hebrew, but that was totally off the record. So going back to what the Bible says here. There was the school of Shammai. Now the school of Shammai said, and this is a major school of thought, that said you can only be divorced, guys. Now, by the way, ladies, if you didn't like your husband in that day, you couldn't divorce him legally. So number one, the guys had the monopoly on it. School of Shammai said that you cannot divorce except for in cases of infidelity. It could be any type of 
sexual activity with any other person or thing outside of marriage. Okay? The other school that eventually won out in Jesus' day was the school of Hillel, which said, now this is in your notes. I put this in here. This should blow your mind as to what Jesus was having to deal with. They said that not only could a man divorce a woman for any reason, but that a man could divorce his wife. This is from a commentary. If she burned the toast. So ladies, watch it in Jesus' day. And a later rabbi from this school actually said, quote, or you can divorce your wife if you find someone more attractive. Let that sink in. Some of you ladies are like, my family makes jokes, you know, every time I cook, they say I'm sending up burnt offerings. Like, where does this, you know, where does this leave me? I put this in here because I know like, like most of us are going to read that or we'll be like, what? You know, we're reading that at church, like burning the toast. What, 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 this is random. No, that's actually what a leading school of thought on divorce taught in Jesus' day. So imagine this, ladies. You're in the first century. You're betrothed to a man. You marry that man. And then you burn the toast. And he says, I divorce you. Some lady's laughing because she's like, and then I would say, I pull out my 38 and I kill you. You know, it'd be, that'd be easy, man. It can go both ways. But she would be sent away from that marriage relationship and she would basically have two options. A life of prostitution or she would go home to her family in shame. And shame was a huge thing to do. Today, we're not ashamed of anything. Like, if anything, stuff that we should be ashamed of, or like, let me put that on YouTube. We have, we have no concept of shame in our culture. We don't, we don't even get it. Like shame, we watch shows, right? We watch shows, and the whole context of the show is things that we should be ashamed of. But because it's other people, we laugh at them, because we can feel better about ourselves. We still okay? So the school of Hillel thought, taught that. And Jesus, number one, goes back to Moses and he says there is an exception in the law that, number one, guys, first century, if you divorce your wife, you must give her a writing of divorce. In other words, this allows her to be able to remarry and this allows her to be a respectable woman in her community and not have to live the life of a prostitute. Not only that, Jesus says there is an exception except for, and the word in the Greek is porneia, where we get our English word pornography. Now, obviously, they didn't have porn like what we have back then, but it simply was was kind of a watershed term that dealt with sexual sin. Jesus is saying that the exception, according to the law, is for someone who is in a marriage relationship and they cheat. And not only that, this is not in, in your, your notes, but you may want to write it down. There's another exception in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 12 through 15. The Apostle Paul says, To the rest I say, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. What you had in the first century is two people who come from a pagan background. One gets saved, and the question is, should the Christian divorce the non-Christian now that one got saved. Paul says no. Verse 13. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. 
For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Simply put, he's saying that if there was a total separation from Christian influence, then the children would not be able to be influenced by someone who loved Jesus. Verse 15, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved, for God has called you to peace. So Jesus' point taken together with Paul is the exceptions biblically for divorce is marital unfaithfulness and then abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. In Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 1 is what Jesus references when he says you must give the woman a writing of divorce which makes her uh, a woman who can not have to go down uh, a road of prostitution. Malachi chapter 2 verse 16 says for I hate divorce says the God of Israel. You say, well, Jeff, why, why did Jesus say that there was an exception included at all? Notice what Jesus says in, in chapter 19 and verse 8. He says the reason why it was included is because of the hardness of your hearts. The hardness of the hearts of the men who would divorce a woman for any reason and simply send her out. He's saying this is a way that we protect women in our culture. You say, well, what about remarriage? According to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that every available attempt to reconcile should be taken. It means if you're separated or divorced from your spouse, you should do all that you can to try to show reconciliation if you've come to Jesus since that point. John MacArthur said this, remarriage is permitted for the faithful partner only when the divorce was on biblical grounds. In fact, the purpose for a biblical divorce is to make clear that the faithful partner is free to remarry, but only in the Lord. You say, now Jeff, now what about divorce before salvation or a divorce that was grounded on adultery? It's clear from the teachings of scripture that God brings us to a certain point of brokenness Because of our own sin, which means that God doesn't make us sin or cause us to sin, but he is the one who leads us to that place of brokenness. So according to first Corinthians chapter seven, if there was a remarriage, if you had a divorce before you came to Jesus and that person has found someone else, according to the Bible, you're free to be able to find someone who loves Jesus. But if the divorce Let's say, for example, you say, Jeff, my marriage, the one I'm in right now, the grounds for us entering into it is we both cheated on our spouses. Or I claim to be a believer and I left my spouse for this person, anything like that. According to Jesus, he says that is adultery. That, that Once again, that's what Jesus said. All right? You say, well, does that mean that I should divorce... And try to remarry again. There's nothing in the Bible that says that you should sever a marriage that you are in. Even if it's founded upon something that God did not desire. You say, well, what should I do? It should be, and this is in your notes. The point of all of this is to have a heart that is transformed by grace. To come to God in repentance and say, God, the things that have happened in my past. The divorce before I came to you. I know that's forgiven. Whether something has happened since that time, you come to Jesus and you ask forgiveness for anything that you can think of that he brings to your mind. And then you begin to pray for your former spouse, whether you're with someone else now, whether they're remarried, because you realize that when Jesus sets you free, he doesn't just set you free for yourself, but to love people that have hurt you deeply. 
You see, that's the gospel. If you can begin to pray for the people that have so hurt you deeply, it is those people that the the hurts lie at the very core of our being, and you can pray that Jesus will free them and save them, whether they're remarried or whether they're not. And the point Jesus gives here when he says that the heart is hard, it's literally in the Greek language a heart that is dried up, that is hard and tough. You say, well, Jeff, I'm single. I'm single again. What should I do? This is in the notes. Do not enter a relationship with a person not sold out to Jesus Christ and missional living. Seek first after God. The Bible tells us to seek God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Matthew chapter 6 verse 33. Seek ye first the what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added unto you. But if you're like me and you're single and God has placed a desire in your heart to be married, know this, that the highest rate of divorce is not among the atheists. It's not among the true Christ followers. But it's among the people that are casual church attenders. Among the people that claim to follow Jesus, but there's no real life change. Because they know Bible verses to hold your feet to the fire, but they know just enough Bible to be able to say, don't you judge me, you see. Run from those people. And realize that your singleness holds massive potential for ministry. When you're single, you have so much more flexibility to be able to serve Jesus. So however long God has you single, use that for his glory. And another word about students that date, um, it's amazing, and I don't have kids, but, but parents, if you have teenagers, be very careful how you approach the dating process. It's amazing to me, sometimes we'll have parents, I have a 14, 15, 16-year-old boy and girl, and they, they, they go off, you know, I mean, in a, in a truck to go to the wherever, and it's just like, really? And then sometimes we wonder, I don't see how she got pregnant. I don't see how my son lost his virginity. Well, don't place them in situations to where they'll be tempted to fulfill desires that they're not going to be able to fulfill until they're well after 18. Are we preaching or are we preaching? And listen to godly counsel. One thing I want to do, if God does lead me to be married, I want to run that by godly people in my life. I want, I want to have people, not in a weird way, but to check out her character. See, I mean, is she really, is she really committed to Jesus or is she just into me? Because if you've dated at all, you know there can be people who are into you, and because they're into you, they're into Jesus. But before they met you, church, missions, Jesus, what? They don't care. But because they like you and think you're going to be a good husband wife, they're all about it. Be very careful with that. And if you're divorced, you come and you have a blended family even. Seek to model the grace of God in your family and model that biblical, those biblical values to your children and be honest with them about the brokenness that has happened in your life before Jesus came in. And then let them know, look, honey, I know that your mom and I were divorced and I'm married to a different person. I, back then I was not walking with Jesus or I didn't know Jesus, but let me let you know something. Your mom and your dad loves you. And even though you have come up in a blended home, Jesus will never separate himself from you. Drive that home. 
I mean, take the, the hammer of the gospel and drive that stake home for your children saying, you know what? There have been mistakes in mom's and dad, mom's life and in dad's life, but because of Jesus, he came in and he made us brand new and Jesus will always be with us. And you see, that's the point of the gospel with marriage that the, the groom pursues the bride and he's willing to go to any length to slay the dragon for her. And he comes and he says, I desire you. I want you. I want to be with you. And he lays down his life and he's willing to give everything he has to be with her. And because he loves her, he will never leave her. It's the same way with Jesus. Because Jesus gave his life for us, he will never leave us and never forsake us. And don't you think for a moment, if you're here and divorce has been a reality in your life in the past, that Jesus cannot use you for the future. Don't you buy that bag of garbage from the enemy that says Jesus only uses perfect people. Because if that was the case, then guess what? Jesus wouldn't use anybody. If anything, if you have divorce in your family and your background, if you've not divorced but your parents were, and you know the heartache of having to go from different weekends to mom and dad and deal with all sorts of other family members that you didn't choose, know this, that other people have gone through the same thing. And you can so allow the grace of God to saturate your heart that they'll say, you went through what I went through. And, 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 and you, you can still serve God and know that He's a good Father and not like the one. Yes, God always uses scars for stories. God will always use brokenness to bring people to a place of repentance and following Him.